Welcome to a new episode of the podcast Future Bound, brought to you by Klavnes Combination Carriers. My name is uh, Ingrid Kulsta, and I work as sustainability lead in Zero Lab in Klavnes. If you don't know Klavnes Combination Carriers yet, we bring to you the world's most carbon-efficient shipping solution within the tanker and dry bulk segment through Combination Carriers. In KCC, decarbonization is part and parcel of our business model, but we also acknowledge that without a market that rewards carbon efficiency, no big changes will happen. And we were therefore enthusiastic supporters and uh, signatory when the Sea Cargo Charter initiative came live in 2020 as one of several initiatives by the Global Maritime Forum to help speed up decarbonization of shipping. But what is the Sea Cargo Charter all about and how will it develop? To take us through the SCC past and future, we are fortunate to welcome on this podcast Rasmus Bak Nilsson, whose day job is to be Global Head of Fuel Decarbonization at Trafigura, one of the world's leading independent commodity trading and logistics houses. For those of us that are active in the shipping decarbonization sphere, Rasmus, you're a household name and someone who frequently contributes to the debate uh, as a decarbonization champion. And we're fortunate because in uh, 2021, he was ranked the 10th most influential person in shipping in the Lloyd's List 100 people rankings. But today you're on this podcast as uh, vice chair of the Sea Cargo Charter. Thank you for joining us, uh, Rasmus. Hi, Ingrid. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. I think no podcast is uh, complete unless we ask uh, what motivated you to get to where you are today. and Why do you work with decarbonization? So what motivated me and what made me move here? I mean, it's, it's actually a, 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 an event of uh, coincidences, I would say. Uh, first and foremost, I was uh, heading traffic uh, shipping activities and the gas and oil side. We were running a fleet of uh, 200 plus tankers on the water, which makes it by far the largest tanker fleet in, under one control. In 2019, we started to see uh, the challenges we had where we could not understand emissions from uh, the ship owners that we were chartering ships from. So initially and internally, we started our own process, and I come back to that. Uh, but my own transition into fuel decarbonization was uh, a family move, actually, back to Denmark, and we were sort of looking at each other, the company and myself, like, where do we need to go? And decarbonization was it. And, and, and the challenge here is also, well, what's the DNA of, of what we need to do? And it's a continued DNA in development. Uh, so so it's, it's, it's an interesting challenge, and obviously the world is transitioning very fast. Nice. I, th- I think that's inspirational. And I think it also proves that uh, being in business can be a, a great way to also support uh, the climate costs. And uh, I think that's, that's important to remember. Now, let's, uh, let's have a look at the Sea Cargo Charter and uh, how it contributes, if at all, to the decarbonization uh, agenda. So I, I want to challenge you, Rasmus, can you give us a history of the Sea Cargo Charter in uh, 90 seconds? I can try. <laughs> Global Maritime Forum has been a great initiator of different initiatives uh, since its uh, incorporation. Uh, first and foremost, we saw the Poseidon principles by the financing banks. Then we've seen the insurance principles, which came after the Sea Cargo Charter. But what goes together for all the three initiatives is they sit under one umbrella, which is uh, Global Maritime Forum. So what do we need as an industry? And it goes back to what I saw when I was running traffic going shipping businesses we don't have global standardized CO2 emission reporting. And this is a huge challenge because when uh, shareholders, investors, employees, clients, all stakeholders, they look at the emissions of one company to another, we don't know if we're looking at the same numbers. Mm. And very briefly, that is what SCC is. It's a standardized emission reporting format 
But the difference here from the SEC and many others is it's voluntary, voluntarily. So what people get, and, and, and this is what industry participants, including KCC and Bafigura are doing, well, we are we're driving transparency around emission reporting forward. And that is the SEC. And, and today, it's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 34 charters and operators across some of the world's largest companies in energy, mining, agriculture and commodity trading that have signed up. That is correct. And, uh, and, and, and what we see is, uh, of course, uh, it's, a, it's a growing uh, member base, uh, like the Poseidon principles, which is also growing. We have an ambition to grow a lot more. Uh, it's not a finished product, for sure. Uh, what we see is a little bit the challenge is people are afraid of uh, certain aspects around the SEC. And, and the reason why I'm also very happy to join the podcast today is because we need to demystify some of these concerns that uh, owners and operators are having. Exactly. So I, I just want to take our uh, listeners through the four principles that they sign up for when they become a, a member of the SEC. And the first is, uh, of course, assessment of Climate alignment, uh, which means that the signatories on an annual basis, they calculate their greenhouse gas emission intensity, and then they assess the, the uh, climate alignment uh, relative to established decarbonization trajectories. Uh, currently, the one that's being used is uh, the 50% absolute emission reduction trajectory established by the IMO for 2050. Uh, and then the second uh, principle is accountability uh, to ensure that companies use uh, comparable data uh, then it's uh, enforcement through a standardized uh, charter party clause uh, and uh, transparency. Uh, again, uh, this is a, uh, an annual publication of, uh, of results. So I thought we could just spend a little bit, uh, little bit of uh, time on that. Uh, why did you choose the, the, the climate uh, alignment trajectory that, uh, that you did? Um, so, so, so far, SEC has been following IMO uh, trajectories. A group of companies within the SEC actually believe it's not sufficient. Diverging a little bit here, uh, th there's ongoing mm. discussions within the SEC to strengthen the ambition level. Uh, it's both an opportunity, but also a concern. Uh, there is a work process within the IMO as we speak, where climate ambitions are likely to be strengthened significantly down to 1.5 degree trajectory. The, the big task and challenge for ship owners and operators and the fear, uh, and also to this point, probably holding some people away, which we believe is, is a mistake. People are afraid of not being able to live up to the climate target that the world is about to establish. There's some, uh, again, demystifying aspects here that we, we need to address. People should not be afraid of this SEC being a ranking system. It is not. And we absolutely have to uh, uh, terminate that fear. Uh, in the sense, again, this is voluntary emission reporting. There will be a number of years where all this is about is about being able to compare apples and apples within the industry. And of course, over time, to push ourselves and to push our behavior towards a zero emission future. And that is what the SEC is. It's not about rankings. And those who are fearful of not being able to live up sort of to what other companies are doing, Throw it away, yes, because again, this is about a learning experience where we are voluntarily sharing our data. Why is sharing data important? Well, we have an IMO which is about to make more stringent regulation. We hope there will be a carbon pricing mechanism. 
IMO is struggling how to collect funds or they're seeing challenges how to collect funds. So what the FTC mm. also does, it can provide a basis foundation for letting IMO understand that it's actually feasible to collect data on a transparent basis. So that's also what the SEC can do. I think that's a very, that's a very important uh, point that you're uh, uh, raising there, Rasmus, because I, I, that's not where the challenge really is. It's uh, it's more, of course, about how to get to to zero emissions, but the data is available. Yeah, and and having transparent data is everything, and and we all have this learning curve. Number one, we need to collect the data, and it's still a lot of companies which are not yet collecting data in full. We saw the own challenge ourselves, as in Trafigura, when we started asking owners for their emissions. There was a lot of uh, disbelief and uh, actually, oh, what are you going to misuse this data for? And of course, zero intent of misusing it, but a need to understand what is our emissions. That's what's driving the whole thing. And just a little bit going back, like what what, what has driven Trafigura so hard and pushing for global regulation? Uh, I divert a little bit from SEC. Well, 75% of our scope three emissions originate out of shipping. Hmm. Shipping does not decarbonize Trafigura cannot decarbonize. And it's not only us, it's the oil majors, it's the other trading houses, but we need the industry to decarbonize. And any initiative that puts this forward, and SEC is a very good initiative working towards that, is a good thing. And I think, you know, you mentioned uh, scope three, but I think it's also um, misunderstood or maybe people not e- are even not even really fully aware of the potential in, in that uh, that emissions uh, category, because it can allow allow companies to take joint ownership of uh, emissions. And by doing so, maybe also provide each other with uh, some uh, voluntary incentives to, to get started on emission reductions. But that's a whole other uh, a whole other podcast. But, but how, how do you ensure that companies use comparable data so that we actually compare apples and apples in uh, in the SEC. Isn't that, uh, isn't that difficult? Um, well, SEC has the guidelines like how emissions are to be measured. And, and what the SEC does, it has third-party validation. And it's not a mandatory requirement from day one. It's within two years of a membership sign up that this needs to be initiated and, 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 and validated. And that's a way also to, to enable new members to come in without having the big fear of not being able to live up to the requirements from day one. So that sort of fear factor needs to be taken away and Sea Cargo Charter is accommodating for that. So that's, that's, that's sort of a very important aspect. Third-party validation, of course, is tremendously important and having a fixed parameter on which third-party validation takes place. Sea Cargo Charter is not... Uh, recommending any third-party validators because then Chicago Charter could become uh, sort of bias to certain companies mm. that could have, have an economic profit. And Chicago Charter is a not-for-profit organization like Global Maritime Forum is, like the Poseidon Principles is. But the third-party validation is key. And, and then uh, uh, the third party can be understood as a, as a service provider. That's uh, that's who's helping uh, helping the reporting uh, organization with uh, with the data collection and uh, an uh, assessment of the alignment. Yes, and the validation of same. Yeah, exactly. And then I think another uh, thing that we also need to remove fear around this is the use of this charter party clause that it's uh, it will be get difficult to get. Uh, get acceptance for for that one, but uh, at least uh, from uh, what we are seeing, this one is uh, spreading quite rapidly, also beyond the members of the Sea Cargo Charter. So uh, 
I think no one should uh, should be afraid of uh, of trying to insert the SEC uh, charter particles. Or what's uh, what's your experience? Uh, totally agree. Uh, we saw initially ourselves how difficult it was, even from the most reputable public listed companies who were uh, denying to give their data away. Uh, I was quite shocked about that. So this was coming into late 2019 into 2020. And uh, but but as you say, uh, Ingrid, more and more are becoming uh, or accepting the fact that emissions needs to be shared because we all have a need, and this is the way society is, is moving very fast, thankfully, uh, around transparency and emissions. Because only when we have mm. transparency and we know we are comparing apples and apples, that's when we can start to drive behavioral change and use the data. But then, you know, I think it's been very interesting to observe also how this topic has evolved within the shipping industry over the past uh, past years from, you know, not being uh, willing and in many cases also not able to share a lot of data. And uh, now to see that uh, there is less fear around this type of uh, disclosure. And uh, as we mentioned, the alignment score for the SEC is published uh, annually. Uh, the first reporting was uh, was this year. But uh, you know, what was the was this uncomfortable for the signatories, or did you have to do to field a lot of phone calls about anxieties around the, the disclosure, or was this uh, a I, walk in the park? Uh, no, it's, it, it wasn't a walk in the park, but it wasn't uh, overly challenging neither. And 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 what we tried in the steering committee and and Jan Jelleman, the chairman, and myself, we made ourselves available to the media and and tried specifically to. Uh, take the ranking uh, out of it. It's not about a ranking. And and that, mm. that's where the biggest fear lies for people. Okay, we're afraid. We don't know. We're only starting now and we don't know what this is going to mean. Is that going to have a personal effect for the people who have been promoting SEC, etc.? So that was actually neutralized, I like to think. At least that's what we felt and, and saw. Um, in terms of the emission reporting alignment scores, and here I make a link to Poseidon Principles, the first report that came out the financing banks had a disparity between minus 40%, I think, to plus 30%. Huge spread, obviously. And 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 the same for the Chicago Charter. We had a big spread on the first reporting cycle. And I don't think the biggest outliers had any issues whatsoever, neither internally nor externally. At least we haven't been told. We've been looking for feedback. So, so I don't think anyone have had any challenges whatsoever around when the alignment scores came out. So I think in that sense, uh, mission accomplished. And the message here again is it is not a ranking system, but it's about driving transparency and understanding our missions so we can drive behavioral change. And that's what we all need to do. But maybe I can challenge you a little bit there, uh, Rasmus, but uh, you could also argue that, uh, you know, a much more uh, upheaval around the, the scores would, would have been interesting as well. Uh, do people not understand this or, uh, you know, or they, do they actually not care that much about this? Is it, is it like a tick the box exercise? No. So how, how can we make sure that this, this uh, leads to some uh, action as well? Yes. Okay. Very, very good, good, good question. So uh, no upheaval yet. No. Reason being, people are learning the data. And you can't go out and criticize people who are making a big effort to do something voluntarily on trans global transparency standards. So yeah. it's, it's too early to, to go out and make a, make a big upheaval. I think in three to five years, there's, there's definitely more and maybe even two to four. There's definitely more requirements that people, they sort of need to act more around it. Yeah. I'm not saying people are not acting today. I'm sure they are. But in terms of if you have a, a, a bad set of data, you will have some years where, where there's uh, and, and less accountability, I don't like the word, but in sense of you will have a grace period 
where you really just need to understand what data you are collecting. And I expect over time the spread between the outliers will become will become smaller and smaller because people they get the data and then they learn about it and then they change behavior. And that's mm. the target. And I think it's also uh, uh, important to to I mean at least we can hope that over time this also becomes uh, part of uh, of commercial dialogues where uh, you know companies would like to know what uh, charters and uh, operators are doing to improve their SEC scores as well, so that you can get a conversation started okay. around uh, decarbonization initiatives. I think that would, uh, at least from uh, from our perspective, also constitute a big success for the SEC. I, and I and I think it's actually already happening to to some extent. Uh, is it is it behavioral change yet? I don't think so. Uh, but this is what we are definitely working towards, both as being an SCC instigator, also together with KCC and others, but also as Trafigur and others, because I mean, as as we get on this trajectory of of understanding and learning data, and also being held accountable over time, and this is key. And we need to push ourselves as well as an industry and as private companies or public companies. So that whole transition and that push will actually emphasize the transition and strengthen the transition into a more decarbonized, uh, better decarbonized decisions. For this year's uh, reporting, if I'm not mistaken, it was 25 companies that... uh that uh, submitted their uh, their alignment score and now the SSC is counting 34 companies so that should be a good growth from the 15% of total bulk uh, cargo that was covered in the initial uh, reporting but uh, if you, if you look a little bit to the to the future and uh, and membership development you know uh, are there any industries that you would like to challenge uh, any industries that's uh, lagging behind in in terms of signing up to uh, to the SSC we will challenge ourselves as number one, which is the chemical tanker segment is very difficult because it's parceling trade. We have not managed to, to crack that one in terms of how a fair reporting mechanism can be made. But it's the industry where we basically don't have participation. And it's fair, by the way, because SEC is not properly set up for that. So, so that's probably the, the, the key industry. Uh, and, and then we look at, well, the cruise lines, et cetera, have not come on board. Is there a reason for that? Just to mention an industry, but I'm not sort of gonna sign them out as such. Uh, I think generally we we have the grips on the dry market, tanker market is there, container market less so, but nothing where again I will say we're missing an industry because there's always reason behind it if the industry is not yet on board. Yeah, and, and, and I have to say one more thing, and that's about the building blocks of the SEC. Again, it's not a finished product. Uh, I give an example of of one of the challenges we had in the first reporting cycle, and actually which gave a little bit of odd numbers, uh, where we had uh, IMO2 MRs uh, reported as uh, chemical tankers. And IMO2 MRs are actually predominantly trading in the product tanker fleet. So there we saw some numbers which were not uh, correct, actually, and the technical committee within the SCC have been rectifying this and uh, for the next reporting cycle will be fixed. And I think that's a really important uh, point to get across that this is an initiative that's uh, under development and speaking from our own experience that we can contribute to how the SSC uh, should evolve uh, to also correctly represent the various segments. I think it's uh, is of immense value. Yeah, and, and we really, really appreciate uh, that the steering of co- committee is, is, is well-functioning in that sense. Uh, we recently have had a big de- decision which were uh, voted down. Uh, and that was around the future climate trajectory of SCC, where a number of companies were against it. I think fairly, actually, although I, I, we were on the other side as Trafigura, 
uh, fearing it. But a lot of companies were in doubt of what does it mean if we support 1.5 and if we put SEC towards 1.5 degree trajectory now. And that uncertainty spills into the fact, again, the fear that companies cannot live up to it. They, they're not comfortable because it's not transparent on what curve, uh, decarbonization curve, that they will have to adhere to this. And, and, and suddenly it becomes too much of uh, an anchor around the, the leg in terms of uh, not understanding what it really means. So mm. here we actually have, and this is about SEC in development, a decision voted down However, an understanding that it's something which we continuously are addressing, will need to be addressing, and also make decisions on. But the the, the SEC was not ready yet, and I think mm. that was fair, actually. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, uh, for many companies, in, including ourselves, you know, this this is part of uh, the type of information we also disclose to the to the market, and uh, I, I think we can we definitely can uh, sympathize with uh, with the need to stand behind the trajectories we we sign up for. But uh, why are you not uh, reporting actual emissions in the SEC? That's something uh, uh, I guess some some might be uh, be questioning. Yeah, good good question actually, and and uh, I, I probably cannot even answer that because so far, well, I, I can in the fact that we have decided to follow uh, IMO guidelines as of now, and and that's mm. another question, which is well, do we need to change this? Cannot be ruled out. So not on this call for sure. <laughs> no, no, not, not for sure. Uh, and it's uh, that is tricky with uh, with shipping uh, decarb. There are so many different uh, metrics uh, going around to so to find one that uh, captures everyone's concerns is uh, is uh, is tricky. Yeah. But down the line, maybe maybe we'll come to that as well with uh, with actual emissions. But I, I think I want to just uh, zoom out a little bit and uh, and just touch upon the outlook for decarbonization in in shipping because. Uh, SSE is uh, is about uh, transparency, which is a very important first step to know what we are emitting and uh, how we are performing against uh, uh, the needed trajectories. I mean, we are only partly on track, uh, and I think the SSE disclosure has uh, has shown that. But also, uh, if we look for projections for emissions from uh, from maritime, it's also going uh, going up. Uh, I think twenty twenty two has been a very dramatic year. On so many fronts, uh, and you have previously stated that uh, the war in uh, Ukraine—you know—one of the results of that one might uh, be that uh, it's bringing forward the energy transition by five to ten years. But is that view holding up also after COP twenty-seven? Because that's yeah. obviously a very important point when we're discussing the outlook for for shipping decarbonization. I I think uh, it it doesn't involve uh, COP twenty-seven. It for me that that five to ten year forward push comes from the war. And what we see, and I'm on the board of uh, H2Energy in Denmark, and we are trying to build the base electrolyzer production site in Europe, uh, one gigawatt by 2026. And we have been deeply engaged with Danish politicians uh, for the last uh, 16 months. We saw a complete turnaround on uh, availability uh, after the war started, because then, as we know, it, it became an energy independence uh, uh, issue more than mm. a green transition. And suddenly we saw all the leading European politicians get together so uh, what we see now is, and, and we do expect uh, a load of offshore wind being tendered out uh, in 2023, which probably would not have been feasible to get the full political support for if we hadn't had the war. Uh, so this is the first uh, conclusion, and, and I'm really convinced it's five to ten years that the war has pushed the energy transition forward, because how people mm -hmm. are able to get into the same room and make strategic decisions has, it's, it's a complete game changer. It has changed. Uh, we see also around hydrogen pipeline infrastructure, uh, Denmark and Norway, for instance. I'm oh, sorry, Denmark and uh, Germany 
suddenly mm. they can push things five to, to eight years forward. Uh, we saw it on hydrogen pipelines in Denmark, where initially when we started talking, uh, it was 2035, then it was 2030. Now, maybe it's even 2026. COP, mm. okay, separate matter, COP. What does COP, COP do? It's obviously pushing and, and uh, a lot of politicians into the same room, letting them understand that they need to mandate IMO to make a change. And since mm. we proposed our white paper, Trafigura, in September 2020, we saw a huge mindset change evolving over time. And obviously, we've been participating ourselves and spending a ton of time trying to facilitate mind change also within the IMO and IMO working groups. And we've seen it. And, and I think what, what COP does is it helps promote the mindset change. Mm. And moving from COP into the next MEPC meeting here in December, also, actually, I'm confident that COP will have had an effect for the IMO members, because certain ministries will come back and then hopefully they, and I think so, they would give certain mandates to the IMO delegates because the industry representation at COP was very significant. Mm. And here we have seen a change and, and there's a big focus. And what ultimately needs to happen, and just to be very, very clear, we need a global carbon pricing penalty. That's it. We yeah, fully agree on that. And I, I think also what uh, what delegations at uh, IMO need to you know fully take into account is that the industry is uh, basically offering to pay up for the transition uh, itself uh, through the the various uh, carbon uh, uh, pricing initiatives that's being discussed in uh, in the IMO. And I think that's an important uh, uh, thing to also keep telling. Uh, it's not a, it's not a burden on on uh, public budgets. Um, and 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 highlighting that, I mean, I don't think Trafigur ever have asked to be regulated and pay a penalty. Here we are promoting and pushing it because this mm. is truly what it takes to be able to decarbonize the shipping industry. And one thing which we haven't discussed on this call is the hard to abate industries and, and they are combined more than 30% of global GHG. Well, they, the one, the one, the industries with the most mature demand curves, they will also be the ones who can uh, offtake the hydrogen and the hydrogen mm. is used to produce hydrogen derived fuels. So here the shipping industry has a huge challenge and competition which we haven't had in the past because we've been burning the bottom of the barrel, whereas now mm. we have to compete for the highest end of the renewable. Huge change. Yeah, and I, uh, I think that's a, a, a very interesting also dilemma uh, in, uh, in uh, many ways, but that's a, a really important uh, part of the, uh, the energy transition for, for shipping. I mean, we definitely see that the, the carbon price is, uh, is the game changer. Now we will have it in Europe from, uh, from 2024. That's already influencing the discussions we can have in the market around decarbonization. Uh, but uh, also the transparency that's uh, being brought to the table with, uh, with the SEC is, uh, is, is helping uh, on that front as well. So if you were to come with a call to action to our listeners, uh, Rasmus, uh, why... If they're on the fence, why should they sign up to, uh, to the SEC uh, before end of year or as soon as possible, at least? Don't be afraid. It's the first message. Yeah. Don't be fearful. It's not a ranking. It's about uh, understanding and having transparency around emission, which over time will drive behavioral change from all of us. And we need that. And mm -hmm. therefore, any company should be signing up to this. And we look forward to that. And if I may add, I think it's also about creating internal awareness in the reporting uh, company about CO2 and, and what you can do to also improve your ratings and how, uh, how this can also help strengthen your, your business case uh, in the longer run as, uh, as CO2 becomes um, more and more important, uh, regulated, costly, etc. And just to pick you up on that, and it's a good point, I actually think companies are learning and they're getting a lot of information by being part of the SEC. 
We have mm. universities professors giving insights now on the new SBTI guidelines, and 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 there's a trajectory. There's there's a there's a load of knowledge sharing around it that companies can benefit from. So that's another argument why to come along. We uh, we second that. Rasmus, it's been a pleasure to have you on our podcast uh, today. And uh, to all the listeners, uh, I'm sure Rasmus is available if you have any questions that we didn't uh, answer uh, sufficiently on uh, on this call. Thank you so much, Rasmus. It's a pleasure. Thank you.